The narratives that control us, the stories we tell ourselves, shape our reality. And so often we just take it as assumed that what we're thinking is true. It's accurate. It's a reflection of reality. But don't believe everything you think. This from Tim Ferriss in an interview with Brene Brown and Dax Shepard on the Unlocking Us with the Brene Brown podcast. Listen in to this all-star team of human beings as they each share their own unique philosophies on life, both the good, the bad, and the ugly, whose automatic go-to is shame and blame and how that plays out in everyday life. You might be surprised by who that is. And the one thing they can't live without that keeps them fully energized and operating at their highest level of performance. It's Tracy. Thanks for being here. And welcome to another replay of the day on this episode of Invisible You, a podcast for women over 40 living courageously. She seemed like a nice lady, quiet, kept to herself mostly. I'm pretty sure she lived here alone. I didn't see many visitors. Of course, we didn't have that much interaction other than the occasional, hello, how are you? You know, the usual pleasantries of people who only see each other once every so often. It really is such a shame, though. She was still so young. Pity. I've had this recurring conversation, scenario, drama, whatever you want to call it, playing in my head ever since I started living on my own a few years back. And it pops up every now and then right as I'm huffing and puffing my way up the three flights of stairs it takes to get to my third floor apartment. It used to kind of freak me out, not knowing where it was coming from or why I would suddenly turn to my early demise as I hit the stairs running. Okay, walking fine, trudging if you're going to get picky. And maybe it's because my poor little heart beats like the wings of a hummingbird in flight. So unused to being used. I really do need to hit the gym sometime this year. But after doing a little psychological grave digging, I finally got to the bare bones of my issue. And I think it's my fear of dying before accomplishing anything worthwhile, helpful, or impactful that has my mind on my mortality and my mortality on my mind. Feeling like I'm on my way out of this world, leaving it no better off than when I first came into it. Slowly fading out over time like my favorite pair of jet black jeans gone through too many rinse cycles. And I hear it loudest when I'm procrastinating or feeling like everything's in super slow mode, not happening quite as quickly as I think it should. It's almost like the universe is completely clueless about my personal agenda. And it's especially noticeable when I'm driving and I'm in a rush and people seem to purposefully go out of their way to get in mine. They aren't even trying to read my mind and make what I want their priority. You know, that accident, it could have happened at a much more convenient time for me. I mean, I recognize him at the center of the universe. Why it is no one else? Hello, is anybody out there even listening to me? Yeah, I don't get it. 
And in the words of Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, I want the world. I want the whole world. Give it to me now. I don't care how. I want it now. Right before she's judged, labeled, and dropped down the bad egg chute. Although, is it really so bad for a girl to know her own mind and go after what she wants with all she's got? If it was a guy, he'd be praised as ambitious or you better watch out for that one because he's a real go-getter. That boy's going places. Yeah, nothing like a little double standard in a kid's movie to keep us selfish girls in our place. And by the way, maybe if I'd have had the courage to speak my mind like Veruca, then maybe I wouldn't have wasted so much time and energy and soul-sucking jobs and expired relationships that no longer serve my needs. Thinking that going after what I really wanted was self-indulgent or greedy because I'm a good girl and good girls put others first. There's a great book out there by Grant Cardone called If You're Not First, You're Last. And he's referring to sales and business, but I think it can apply here too, because if you're forever putting someone else's needs ahead of your own, then yours takes a back seat, never becoming a priority. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. It might also explain why I don't want a cat. I think I secretly fear being the proverbial crazy cat lady that we lovingly label as a single woman living alone with her cat, unfit for companionship or marriage. I know, it's ridiculous, but I just have this irrational belief that if I live alone with a cat, I'm destined to die alone, penniless, without love or purpose. So yeah, I've basically expanded the negative cultural definition to include pretty much all things in life going downhill if it's just me and my cat. Who wouldn't, am I right? <laughs> Says no one else. But regardless, it's still a no-go on the cat. Besides, I'm not a big fan of litter boxes as I've cleaned up my fair share of other people's crap to last me a lifetime, both literally and figuratively. But it's in the anxiety-ridden roller coaster of my mental mortality that I notice myself having light and happy thoughts of death and regret. Because nothing says stay the course like visions of coulda, shoulda, woulda beens dancing in my head. I just feel like time's speeding up and my progress is slowing down. Fortunately, I received a great reminder from our friend Sean Croxton of the Quote of the Day show who said, You might be taking action but not seeing much effect. And what most of us do at some point is quit or get frustrated and stop. Then start, then stop, and start up again. Because of this expectation that the effects are going to happen immediately. Although that almost never happens. But instead, realizing even though we aren't getting the quick results we want in either our physical, environmental, or professional areas of life, there's invisible forces going on behind the scenes that are piecing everything together for us. Kind of like a seed in soil. You don't always know what's going on underneath that soil until you see the sprout. But most people stop right before that sprout breaks through the surface. And if they just kept going a little bit longer, the results would eventually show. And bam, that was it. What I needed to hear when I needed to hear it. Funny how that works. And it gave me the space to step back and breathe and then slowly move forward. At least 
for a while anyway. I'm sure my little mind movie hasn't completely played itself out yet, but for now. And that's where our triumphant trio comes in with kind of a light and fun conversation between three pretty well-known high achievers who share and poke fun at their own challenges and missteps that make them just as human as you and I. And it gave me a little sense of relief that no matter who we are, we're all going through our own shit, each of us battling our own inner demons that try and keep us stuck. And the good news? No one's immune. And the bad news? No one's immune. Which is somewhat reassuring. Again, it's something I needed to hear when I needed to hear it because it's easy to think inside that fishbowl. Why me? Why am I the only one who feels like this? It's so not fair. But in listening to Brene, Dax, and Tim, oh yeah, they've had to swim upstream several times. And it's how they dealt with the current that's led to either their failure or success. So now you know it, one of my secrets to getting unstuck and out of my head. And as much as I'd like to say, yep, that's right, it's all me, baby. I got this. It's my own inner drive and ability to smooth talk my self-talk. Unfortunately, it's not. And I still need a little outside inspiration. And honestly, it's something that's bothered me for a long time because I know it should come within, and sometimes it does, but there's plenty of times where I have to turn to someone else other than myself just to get my ass moving. I wish I could tell you that I'm the Michael Jordan of my 40s, just a constant inspiration and motivating force for myself and others to be, do, and have their best life ever, but I can't. So until that happens, obviously I'm being overly optimistic here, I have to look to other people, books, and podcasts to get me through the tough times when I can't get through them on my own. So what strategies do you use to keep yourself on the straight and narrow when impatience creeps in and all you want to do is stop and throw your hands up in defeat? I'm all up for ideas if you have any good ones. Otherwise, you're welcome to steal mine. And sometimes all it takes is a little jump start from someone else's momentum to get our own going. And hey, if it works, why fix what ain't broke? Okay, a bumper sticker or short slogan that's true and its potential is really misunderstood. Its ability to make the world a better place. What did you answer, Tim? My answer was don't believe everything you think. (laughs) That's so good. Yeah, that was a bumper sticker shared with me by a hospice care physician (gasps) named BJ Miller, who's helped more than a thousand people to die. He's a triple amputee himself. He was electrocuted in college. He was a warning story, actually, when I went to the same school for undergrad. And the narratives that control us, the stories we tell ourselves shape our reality. And so often, we just take it as assumed that what we're thinking is true. It's accurate. It's a reflection of reality. So don't believe everything you think, I think has some really profound implications for well-being. It has profound implications for performance. It has profound implications for everything since your entire experience of life is passed through this filter that we call the mind. Yeah, it's huge because also our brain creates stories to protect us that really exacerbate our worst shame and fear. And then when we believe those stories, 
you know, they ruin relationships, marriages, partnerships, employee relationships. I mean, don't believe everything you think. Oh my God, it's a good one. Dax, do you have one? So I answered to your question, I'm drawing a blank here, Mm -hmm. which is not actually a bumper sticker. I just literally couldn't think of one. But as Tim was talking, I just thought of one of my favorite things, which is an AA slogan, which is what other people think of you is none of your business. That's one of my all time favorites. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. It doesn't matter. It's none of your business. It's how you think about yourself. But do you find it hard to live by? I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with people think about me. I'm never correct. It's never enough. Someone just sent me this great Garrison Keillor quote on praise, and it was saying like how to take praise. And he said, I go through faux humility, but in truth, I want the praise to be them staring into my eyes like I'm a sun god. Like that's where my ego ultimately is. That's what I'm in search of. I can pretend I want to hear good job. No, I want you to get on your knees and worship me like a sun god. And anything short of that is not enough. So I just try to skip the whole thing. I'm not successful at it, but certainly I feel so much better when I skip the whole endeavor. I'm not going to be a sun god, and that's really what I want. It's true. I mean, when I was doing the shame research, what I found is no one really wants anyone to say, that's a good person, average, fair, competent. People want amazing, incredible worship. You know, it's true. Superlatives, smartest, sexiest, something est. Ist, something ist, the best of something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mine is shit happens, definitely because I have to say it to myself a lot because I'm a blamer. And so when something goes wrong, I like to know whose fault it is right oh. off that. Even if it's my own fault, I'd rather it be my own fault. Like if I get a flat tire, I'm like, fuck, it's because I'm not working out. Because what people <laughs> who work out are really mindful about their car maintenance and they get everything done at the right time. And like, I just want something to be someone's fault because that's a controlling thing for me. So just sometimes bad shit happens. Can I ask you a follow-up question that, Brene? Because this is a big theme in my family, my nuclear family I grew up in. And I want to know, do you think that you came by it through nurture or nature? The blaming piece? Yeah. For sure. That's nurture. Mm-hmm. I come from a long maternal line of blamers. I remember reading that book, maybe The Rising Sun. And in that book, they talked about the kind of Japanese business philosophy is they're not even interested in blame or who did it. And I read that and thought that is so revolutionary. Can you actually address problems without singling out the bastard who screwed up? Are you a blamer, Tim? No, I would say that that tendency exists, but the larger the crisis, the less likely I am to do that. So the more intense and the higher the stakes could be a car accident, could be some catastrophic economic event, could be COVID, the less likely I am to look for that. It's with the daily paper cuts, the nuisances, the mild inconveniences, I'm more likely to do it. So it's not like I am wandering around like a bodhisattva at the you know salad bar, not pissed off at anyone at any time. That certainly happens. So the blaming exists, but I wouldn't say it's the strongest default unless we're talking about also self-blame, in which case I am relentless and ruthless in self-talk. So I think if we want to invoke the name of Jocko Willink, his book, Extreme Ownership, I think that that type of extreme ownership can be productive and constructive, or it can be also very masochistic. Yeah. And shaming. Yeah, the self-blame and self-shame is more of a challenge for me, I would say. Yeah, the line between an inventory and a shame fest is very thin. 
<laughs> yeah, right. And are you a blamer, Dax? Again, and I think through 16 years of going to meetings or whatever it is, I say this often, I have to step over many bad ideas before I get to the one I act on. So yeah, I see a bowl of cereal dumped over on the carpet when I walk in. And my first thought is, which one of these assholes did this? It could be anyone in the house. And then I think, well, you know, I'm going to have to clean it up regardless of who did it. And maybe I'll say a general rule in the house is let's try to eat in the kitchen. It doesn't have to be specific. You know, I got to work through all that. My first thought is, who did this? Let me get them and let me shame them a little bit. But I don't think I act on it much. Yeah, I have to reverse engineer out of it. My cognition has to take over my affect. And the thing is that I'd rather be at fault for something. Like, I'd rather be the cause of COVID personally <laughs> than just shit happens because then I have a sense of control about making sure it doesn't happen again. Like, my therapist told me one time that my motto should be let go and let Brene. <laughs> Is that the rudest thing? <laughs> so, Brene, how does that square with your bumper sticker if shit happens? Well, that's why it's my favorite bumper sticker because I need to wear it on my forehead. <laughs> like, I need to say sometimes bad shit happens, man. It's no one's fault. Yeah, it's not the one you're practicing. It's the most, it's the one you aspire yeah, no. to, right? <laughs> the practicing one is like, stop driving slow in the passing lane, asshole. That would be my practicing one. Yeah, my bummer <laughs> sticker would be stop inconveniencing me. Yes. <laughs> what would your not your aspirational bumper sticker, Tim, but your real bumper sticker be? Like on a grumpy day, like don't give us a thoughtful meditative day, like a shit day. <laughs> this is going to be a lazy response, but I think. Dax is stop inconveniencing me <laughs> is probably it. I'm just like, why is the entire world right now following a to-do list, the top of which is fuck up my day? Like, what is going on? How did I miss this broadcast? And I don't know how other people come to this realization. I would not have come to it without the 12 steps, which is just simply... That thinking, it overestimates your importance in the world, that anyone mm -hmm. in the world is even thinking about you or conspiring against you. And like to be able to just recognize it immediately as self-pity, which is as offensive as self-aggrandizement. I don't know where I'd have learned that. I would have just been like, they're fucking with me. You know, I'm that important. <laughs> the universe has something, you know, they've singled me out because I'm so important. Spotlight theory, man. <laughs> Is that what it's called in psychology? Yeah, yeah spotlight uh, theory. It's like the same thing where you're getting ready to pull yourself out of a pool and you kind of, you know, for women, they you know, suck in your stomach and get your hair right. And then you pull yourself out or guys may flex a little bit. And like no <laughs> one's looking. I mean, unless you like are so weird about how you're doing it and your self weirdness as attracting stares, but no one's looking. No one cares. My sister-in-law had this awesome thing she created. She worked at a clothing store and she would often be in the like minute 90 of bringing new options to someone in the dressing room. And she'd be hearing things that people tell themselves, you know, like, I don't look good in blue or green's not blah, blah, blah. And she would say from the other side of the door, do you remember what color shirt I'm wearing? And almost all the time, no one has any clue what color shirt she's wearing. And it's just a really great moment where you're like, oh, yeah, no one's going to know what shirt I'm wearing either. <laughs> yeah, no one's looking. Yeah. <laughs> okay, something you do regularly, a practice or a habit that's hard as shit, but totally worth it. Definitely exercise. Exercise, I think, is the most important cornerstone to me not feeling miserable and discontent. I've even said if I had to give up all the tools I have, I think that'd be the last one I'd give up. That seems to have the most effect on my mental attitude. 
Did you have a second place or a close one or is that just a first by far? Probably the program for me would be the next one where I feel like if I didn't go to meetings and get accountable to other guys and listen to other people's stories, I think I'd be miserable as well. But I would prioritize, which is a little bit sacrilege to say, but I, I would prioritize exercise. True or false, exercise is a pillar of your sobriety. A thousand percent. You know, I have this thing, I've said it before, but if I'm sponsoring a guy and he calls up and he starts complaining about X, Y, and Z, I'll say, I am so, so happy to listen to this. I just want you to take a one hour walk or go to the gym for an hour and then call me back and I'll listen to the whole thing. And almost 100% of the time, that concern they had has gone down by 80%. I just haven't had the experience where they did that. And then they call me back and they're still as crazy in their head about the thing. I think that's true. That's neurobiology, right? That's Mm. physiology. Yeah. I also just want to second what Dak said in terms of if someone put a gun against my head and said, you got to choose one of all of these tools in the toolkit for sort of mental, emotional stability and resilience, I would also choose exercise Mm. easily not even a close second place. Mm. Okay, Tim. God, dude, you're sucked. (laughs) The thing that you do regularly that's hard as shit, but worth it. I don't want to believe it's worth it, but go ahead. Spill. Yeah. The answer I gave was cold exposure. So I have... (laughs) (laughs) I knew it'd be something grueling. Yeah. So I have a cold plunge at home. It's pretty easy to create. I won't give step by step because you can get yourself into trouble with electricity, but you can turn a chest freezer with help from someone qualified into a cold plunge pretty quickly. So you have water. If you leave it plugged in too long, it turns into a gigantic ice block, which is not helpful. But at about, let's just call it 40 to 55 degrees, depending on your pain tolerance, at least two to three minutes, once or twice a day. I do it in the mornings. My girlfriend, I will say, is highly sensitive to cold. This was so unappealing to her, impossible. And she has now trained herself to enjoy it in the mornings. The reason being, I find it personally incredibly effective for anti-depression. It is such a mood stabilizer and mood elevator. And I guess those seem counterintuitive or paradoxical together. Cold exposure, cold baths used to be prescribed at these various retreats for people suffering from depression, including some of the most famous artists folks would recognize, painters and such, would be prescribed, say, two sessions of cold exposure per day. And that's just been lost over time in favor of kind of pharmaceutical intervention, which has its place. But the cold exposure is a game changer. It's really a game changer. And if I look at, Brene, we were chatting about Jim Collins before we started recording a bit and how he scores his days day to day, kind of plus one, plus two from an emotional standpoint or like negative one, negative Mm -hmm. two. And if I look at my plus twos and my plus ones, one of the most consistent ingredients is cold exposure in the morning. So it would be that type of cold exposure. Wow. Okay, what is your evolutionary explanation? So for me, the exercise makes a lot of sense. We were designed to do some labor four or five hours a day. And then for that labor, we got some positive chemicals. And so we don't do that labor. We sit around in chairs and talk in microphones. So that's the big deficit there for me that needs to be overcome. Do you have an evolutionary theory on why this would be so beneficial? Well, a lot of things happen when you get exposed to 
uncomfortable cold, most of them related to, if not all of them, related to survival. The body does not want to be immersed in 40-degree water very long because you'll get hypothermic. So there are all sorts of hormones that are released, I think, primarily to make you more acute and to motivate you to get the hell out of said water. And a side effect of that is improved mood. So for instance, people are familiar with SSRIs, mm-hmm. uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. There are also SNRIs, selective norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors that are also used by psychiatrists in treating different mood disorders. And you're not achieving the exact same outcome biochemically speaking, but when you're in cold water, you release a whole hell of a lot. Uh, and those hormones, these signaling molecules travel through your body and do all sorts of things. And one of the effects, which I think is probably just a side effect, uh, because I don't think evolution optimizes for making us happy in any way whatsoever. It optimizes for us having kids and keeping them alive for a short period. (laughs) And then our sort of Darwinian use is zero. But my explanation would be that these survival responses have a side effect when used in controlled dosing of improvement. It's also great for toxic masculinity just to get that penis as small as humanly possible in the morning Yeah, so that you don't walk out into the world with that BDE. Yeah, if you want an innie instead of an Audi, <laughs> then three minutes and 40 degree water <laughs> will allow you to have that experience. Yeah, the shrivel alone could be worth it just for the world. Yeah. Again, don't go rig your Yeti or any stuff like that. No. Get some information before you do it. You can start with just finishing a normal shower with like 30 seconds of cold. You don't have to start with the like decathlon of cold endurance. (laughs) Yeah. You can start small. That's what most of my friends are doing. Just complete cold showers. Well, I hope you found this conversation as funny and enlightening as I did. And if you'd like to hear the full interview, please check out the podcast Unlocking Us with Brene Brown. Brene with Tim Ferriss and Dak Shepard on podcasting, daily practices, and the long and winding path to healing. Find links to that and all three of their social media in the show notes below. And check out my newsletter to get a sneak peek into more of my own journey on how I'm fumbling my way through my 40s and beyond. And as always, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and share with someone you think might benefit. And until next time, Thanks for listening.